BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk podcast. I am Pat Boyle. Charlie Romeliotis and Scott King from NBC Sports Chicago join me on this episode. And Corey Crawford, he joins the Blackhawks. Can he get ramped up quickly in Edmonton and be ready for game one against the Oilers on August 1st? We'll discuss that. Plus, what's going on with the Oilers goaltending situation? And how do the guys expect the Blackhawks to match up against the McDavid and Dreisaitl lines? It's all coming up on the freshest installment of the Blackhawks Talk podcast. Born in the Rockies, Coors Light is lagered cold for a crisp, clean taste. Filtered cold to ensure clarity and brightness. And packaged cold for peak refreshment. Because those who thirst for more deserve the world's most refreshing beer. All right, guys. Well, Corey Crawford uh, finally rejoined the team. He practiced Saturday for the first time with the Blackhawks after he dealt with COVID-19 the previous three weeks. He uh, had quarantined himself uh, in his Chicago home. Let's just start with Corey's health. After talking to him Saturday after that workout, what was your uh, takeaway from that conversation, Charlie? Yeah, first and foremost, it's, it was nice to see him back on the ice and Corey's situation obviously is a lot different because he's had health issues in the past with concussions and, and injury. So when he was deemed unfit to participate, it, it, there was some speculation as to what was going on. Was it COVID related? Was it a hockey related injury? And he's obviously an unrestricted free agent after the season. So you have, you know, there were just a lot of questions going on. And so, um, you know, the, I appreciated the fact that he, he came out and opened up players honestly could, could, you know, could have they don't have to be transparent essentially about them having COVID. And I think Corey Crawford is one of three or four NHL players that has publicly publicly come out and said that he's had COVID. So I think it was cool to see him transparent. And I guess the scary part for me hearing him talk in that, um, in that zoom call was he didn't know how long it was going to last. He was like, I was watching the news and some people had symptoms for months and you know, he, his, the severity of his symptoms were obviously the first few days and, you know, obviously he has two kids and a newborn baby. So I'm sure that was very scary for him trying to protect his, his kids and even sleeping in the guest room and wearing a mask around the house. But it's nice to see him that he's symptom free. And it probably explains why he wasn't on the ice earlier um, because he needed to get his heart and, and lungs checked out before he honestly could do some of that, those conditioning drills. But it was nice to see him with one day to spare, join the Blackhawks uh, to their flight to Edmonton. It was a strange two days in a row of transparency because you had Seabrook the day before disclosing these these horrible injuries that really affected his life and he really went in depth, was really honest. And then you have Crawford and it's just, to me, the whole thing is just like just another chapter in the Corey Crawford story. He has this thing. Everyone's wondering where he is, what he has. We can figure out what it is. And what does he do? He just comes to camp the last day in Chicago, jumps right on the ice, taps the goalie out and starts seeing shots. And he hasn't skated or seen shots in, in 
God knows how long. And I also thought when he was talking, he was just kind of like very calm and matter of fact about the whole situation. And it was just great to see him talk. Great to see him at practice. We'll see. I mean, the, the days are counting down now. Who knows? I, you know, I know if you're Jeremy Carlton, as he said, he's the guy you want in net if he's ready to go. Yeah, he was certainly so, mean, he's laid back by by his nature. Um, but to see, you know, him take the ice and then jump right in, knowing that you know he had not been on the ice in a month, and I don't think, and he he joked and said that he goes, you know, I'm not big in skating uh, in the summer, anyways. Uh, so he kind of joked, and then I think, I think there's just a quiet confidence about him. I, I I do think he's going to be your starter in game one. Whether he's at 70, 80, 90 percent, I don't know what it's going to be. It's a it's a tall task to get him ready in basically a week, but um, he's their best option, and uh, I, I think he'll be he'll be up uh, up to the task on that. So when you watched him on Saturday again, we're judging, you know, a guy who <laughs> spent the last three weeks quarantined in his guest bedroom at his house and had a has a three month old and a and a and a, a young son as well. Um, what did you think of, of just the limited time you saw him on the ice on Saturday? Yeah, I thought he was moving fine. It's honestly just the puck tracking that's going to take a while. And he, he gave up three goals in the first period of the scrimmage. And he didn't face a lot of shots, so he didn't get much work in. Honestly, it was the first, like, ten minutes. I think he only saw, like, two shots. Um, but I wasn't closely observing him during the – the practice portion before the scrimmage and he was giving up a little rebound, you know, some rebound control issues. And I'm sure, I mean, that's just going to come over time and you don't want to read too much into it, but yeah, Pat, I do think he's going to be the game one starter. I would, I would start him even if he's at 70% at 75%, whatever the percentage is, because you know, the Vegas Golden Knights were also going through this where Mark Andre Fleury wasn't at training camp for the start. And they fortunately, ironically have Robin Leonard <laughs> as their number two, but you know, if, if they didn't have Robin Lanner, if they had Malcolm Subban as their backup, they would still, you know, Vegas would definitely still play Marc-Andre Fleury in game one if he was in Corey Crawford's situation. So, uh, yeah, I, I would be uh, surprised if Corey isn't starting Saturday for game one. I was watching from home Saturday. I had to be at home, but I noticed the same thing. Like his, his movement looked good. It's just kind of some, some timing and, and puck tracking, and those things will improve with reps. Unfortunately, the, as I said, the days are winding down, but I agree with Charlie. If, even if you don't have a full Crawford, I mean, you take him. You take him with the experience. You take him on how he's always battled back in situations like this, as I was talking about earlier, the other injuries. I mean, who would have thought in 2015 he would go on to win the Cup that year? And it was after he actually like looked like he's going to get bounced out of a series by Scott Darling, how he was performing, and he still battled back into this year. So I just think with his experience, the way he handles things, he can achieve almost anything, and I expect him to be in as well. So we talk about this this challenge of uh, of ramping him up to playoff caliber hockey. The Hawks traveled to Edmonton on Sunday morning. They went through a workout after they arrived. Uh, they were off as a team on Monday. But we spoke with Jeremy Colleton on Sunday evening uh, from his bubble in Edmonton. And I asked him about, you know, ice availability and how this was going to work out with, you know, what's the specific plan for uh, getting Corey ready to go. And it sounds like they've got other options. There's a, there's a practice rink that's about 30 minutes away from the, the hotel and, and Roger's place. That's where they held practice on Sunday. 
The uh, there's also a, a practice rink connected to Rogers Place, so it sounded like Charlie. There's going to be ample opportunity on, like, say, on Monday and on days that even when the players are not necessarily on the ice. And they also said, and he said he's going to get them out there before workouts as well. It's all about skating to get Corey ready to go. Yeah, absolutely. And every team is going to be going through this too. Like just, you know, earlier today, I saw that, you know, obviously reporters aren't there. So we have to ask these coaches, you know, was everyone a full participant? Were there any injuries? Were there anyone that didn't participate? And, and in Pittsburgh, Sidney Crosby was a full participant for the first time in, in several days. And so I'm sure Sidney Crosby, who is always on the ice 30 minutes before practice, you know, before everyone else joins him, is going to want that extra ice time too. And so, yeah, the Blackhawks do have um, ice available for them um, for, for some of the injured players like Corey Crawford as they ramp up for the qualifying round. I do think you'll see the Hawks, or at least hear about it. We're not going to see much until there's actual games to be played, but you'll probably hear about them being really careful with how they use this, this extra ice in Crawford because it's great that it's available. I was kind of surprised when we found out how available it was, but I don't think you want to throw them out there too much in addition to whatever team practices there are. On off days, yeah, absolutely, but I don't know if you, know, I don't know if you should be having like double and, and triple sessions where he's hitting the ice those days when he hasn't skated for a month or so. So it's, I think it's something to be a little careful of and see how he's doing kind of day by day. And, and that's why I, I, I asked Jeremy that the question's probably better suited to Corey because Corey's gone through so many, you know, concussions and, you know, very, the various injuries, the, uh, you know, the, where he slipped at the concert and the whole night. And he's been through probably several of these, I got to ramp things up in a, in a short, tight window. And he probably, along with the trainers, uh, Gapsky and, and, and the medical staff, have a pretty good idea of what works for Corey, what doesn't. And, you know, when we asked the question directly to, to Jeremy, you know, they didn't, he didn't get into any details. Um, but I think that, that, that's the one, I guess, would be silver lining to the, that Corey's been through these things before and probably knows his body best and what has worked and what hasn't worked as far as ramping up. Yeah, and it's also going to be interesting to see how they handle Wednesday's preseason game. Like, what do you do with your goaltenders? And I asked Jeremy Carlton this, and he said he obviously hasn't – they haven't thought that far ahead yet. But a part of me is like, man, Corey Crawford should probably start and play a majority of that game, if not the full game, because they do not have – like a lot of time to really see different angles and to get back. I don't care if maybe Corey Crawford gets lit up in that, in that, you know, game or like, it's really important for him to see as many angles and see Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl or pucks, you know, like obviously the blues are the, the defending Stanley cup champions. It's important to see that kind of speed. And so, yeah, it's going to be uh, something to watch uh, on Wednesday because that's honestly the biggest storyline for me is how much the goaltenders are, are how much Corey Crawford is going to get in that game. With Crawford, I think you look at these obstacles, and he has these, and he's facing these. He plays some of his best hockey. Like I was saying in 2015, that thing, you know, that's kind of a, a personal off-the-ice thing. It had been really easy to be embarrassed and hang his head. But no, they won the cup that year, and he had a shutout in the clincher. So I, I think he plays his best. And this, you could say the same with battling back from multiple concussions, the way he challenged Robin Leonard for the Nets. The, the last 20 games of, of the regular season he had, we just had ridiculous numbers. So, yeah, I think when he's faced with these obstacles, like I said, he always finds ways to battle back and play some of his best hockey. You could be the first to find out if Corey Crawford indeed starts against the St. Louis Blues on Wednesday night. We'll have the game for you 
on NBC Sports Chicago Plus. Our coverage starts at 5 p.m. for that one. So the, uh, the 31 players the Blackhawks took to uh, Edmonton, did, nothing surprised you on that list, right? Other than they went with the four goaltenders. I, I, looking at the other teams, some went with four, others went with three. I don't, I don't have a problem with them giving one more spot uh, to uh, Kevin Lankinen and uh, obviously the Hubdelia, Subban, and Crawford. Yeah, I think I would have, I, it would have raised questions if the, you know, the 24 teams, if it was very lopsided, some teams carried four and other teams carried three. But it was, it was basically, I think it was 13 carried four and, and 11 carried three. So it was very down the middle. And I think given the Blackhawks situation with Crawford, uh, it made sense to, to bring four. Yeah, I wasn't surprised by who made it. I was happy to see Dylan Sakura make it just because he's working so hard in camp and being noticeable with all this back and forth between Chicago and Rockford he's had the last couple of seasons. But it was kind of expected because I think he would have been there uh, a couple of uh, ahead of a couple of the forwards they already had. But great to see him there. And Jeremy Calton expects he might be a depth guy later in the series if he's needed. And even if he's not, and same for the fourth goalie or third goalie who doesn't see much time, just good for these guys to be on this kind of historic trip with the team in terms of bonding and getting that experience. Yeah, I mean, we talk – the Hawks are the third youngest team uh, in this, this unique playoff format. You know, we talk all the time about the guys that have hoisted the cup. But the bottom line is most of the guys on this team don't have playoff experience. and. This will be the biggest stage they will be on. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Um, on the topic of COVID testing, the NHL announced that during phase three from July 18th through the 25th, they administered 4,256 tests to 800 players and there were no positive tests. That is, you know, flabbergasting to say the least. Uh, obviously, uh, Corey had tested prior to that July 18th and, and that, that goes with, you know, it was three weeks out from uh, – his return from the team. So I, I guess the question is, you know, when, when we look at what's going on with the Marlins in Major League Baseball, do you think the NHL and the NBA have the best chance to finish their postseason because of the, the bubble slash hub city setup? I do. I, and I think that's why, you know, kudos to, to the play. I mean, only two positive tests through, during the training camp period and then zero in the last week. 
I remember the Blackhawks said they had a team meeting the very first day. They're like, we have to take this seriously because we're not in the bubble environment yet. And so outside the practice facility and the rink, we can still do our normal activity. And obviously they would be careful with that, wearing masks and things like that. But they were still able to go to grocery stores and still able to, to do the things that we are able to do. And so the fact that they're in that bubble environment now and all these players have gone into that bubble testing negative is encouraging. I guess the one um, – the one scary thought if you're an NHL or NBA fan is what happens if the virus ends up getting inside that bubble somehow, because then you have no idea where it came from unless somebody broke the rules and left that bubble and, you know, brought it back. And there are obviously severe penalties that the NHL is, has put forth for, for players or personnel that leave the bubble. Uh, so I don't really see that being an issue. Uh, we, we saw one NBA player, uh, Lou Williams decided to break the rules and went to a gentleman's club. And obviously it's, you know, it got a lot of attention, but I don't see that happening with the national hockey league because you have a bunch of teammates that are going to hold you accountable if you do try to leave that bubble. But yeah, I think the NBA and NHL, they have the best chance of succeeding. The hope is that the virus does not get inside the bubble somehow. And then it just creates this mass chaos. Hey, only a gentleman calls him a gentleman's club. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Good on you. Uh, no, I, I, was, I was shocked to see that no one tested positive for this last week heading into the bubble as, as camp wrapped up. I, I, I think it was awesome. I think you got to credit the NHL for it. Individual team staffs and incredible discipline by the players and players' friends, their families. Like this, this effort that this took to get to this point and get these results is amazing. And, and I think going into the bubble here, now that they're in, I think that, yeah, they obviously, the NHL handled it probably far better than any of these other leagues. But the thing is, if somebody happened to get it, like on their way into the bubble or just after the testing, now they're in two different bubbles, the players uh, spread out across the conferences. So, I mean, it's still, you see how this thing spreads. It's still, it's not over, but they're, they're clearly handling this better than anyone else. I, you know, I, I don't want to say that everything's going to be perfect and let's go. I, I'm ready to watch hockey. But, you know, you just don't know what can happen. Right. And that's why I think, you know, the world is also keeping an eye on what's going on with Major League Baseball and how quickly things can change from, oh, it seems like they got off to a good start the first weekend to all of a sudden games are being postponed and, and 11 players are, have tested positive in a, in a sport that is built for social distancing. So it was good to see, like I know, Subban, there was a uh, – an Instagram takeover. They were having some fun with some filters on the team bus, but the players were wearing masks. I mean, I, I think they're very uh, vigilant and uh, you know, it's a, it's a, a team first mentality and that's really what it's going to take to get through this. Um, and so it looks, it looks, you know, from the limited access we have of them, you know, in Edmonton, in the bubble, uh, it looks like they're doing a good job. And, and like you guys said, I mean, how many times have we said, Gary Bettman in the NHL did, did a good thing, but it, it really, the way they handled this, uh, the way, you know, even waiting till the very end to name these hub cities. I mean, we, we thought for sure it was going to be Vegas and Canada was, was sort of a, a, an afterthought only to the very end. And then lo, lo, lo and behold, both uh, cities are in Canada and it looks like uh, both are set up to succeed and let's hope that happens. Speaking of uh, Edmonton, they've got a goaltending situation themselves. Uh, Dave Tippett, 
has not announced who his game one starter is. He said both Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith are, are both likely to play in the series. Scotty, you wrote uh, about the Oilers' last two scrimmages. Smith has allowed 12 goals in those two scrimmages, Koskinen four. But some of that might be the caliber of player that, that, uh, that Smith has gone up against. I think that's fair to say. And look, in, this, in these two goalies, the decision that has to be made as to who's going to be the number one, it's one of those things that you look at on paper and, and you think that, that you know the answer based on Koskinen is 32, Smith is 38. Koskinen had way better regular, regular season numbers, but he hasn't, doesn't have any playoff experience. And Mike Smith has 24 games. We know remember him against Chicago in 2012. And beyond that, uh, Tippett is – this is a third, te- or third team. Yeah, I believe third team uh, Tippett has coached him on. So those guys have a relationship. He knows he has the playoff experience. So I, it's not that easy of a decision, you know. I, I don't know if you want to ride the guy with the experience that you know or give the uh, younger guy – and look, 32 is not that young, but he has had better numbers this year, Koskinen. Yeah, this is a – it's going to be a fascinating decision because I was looking at the numbers and Migo Koskinen was far and away the better goaltender between the two of them this year. And if you just look at the underlying metrics, I think Mike Smith had eight goals saved above average – or uh, I'm sorry, Miko Koskinen had eight goals above saved above average and, and Mike Smith had a negative eight goals saved above average. And then – but then you factor in the fact that Dave Tippett literally rode Mike Smith in that playoff series – in 2012 against the Blackhawks and Mike Smith's numbers 950 save percentage and a shutout in that series against the Blackhawks and I think he had the number one goal saved above average in the playoffs that year with 13 and so it's not it's not an easy decision uh, obviously if you look at the numbers it, they favor Miko Koskinen but if you're trying to go with veteran moxie uh, playoff experience maybe Mike Smith is the is the better option and he does play the puck really well too, so he can serve as that third defenseman, and maybe that presents challenges to to a Blackhawks team that is very speedy. Um, so we'll see. Uh, I, I don't I don't get the sense which direction he's leaning yet, but the Blackhawks and, and Oilers are both kind of playing a chess match on which goaltender is going to start Game One. NBC's got something special for you. Introducing our brand new streaming service, Peacock TV. From live sports to news, documentaries, and even some of your favorite shows, NBC Universal's new streaming service, Peacock, has it all. Learn more at PeacockTV.com. Exclusive home for all of NBC Sports' free Premier League coverage. In deep with Ryan Lochte. Lost Speedways hosted by Dale Earnhardt Jr. And so much more. That's PeacockTV.com to learn more. As far as splitting up McDavid and Drysaddle, that's the way it's looked uh, during training camp for Tippett and the Oilers. It's Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, McDavid, and Cassian. Second line is uh, Tyler Ennis, Drysaddle, and Yamamoto. And we saw a lot of Yamamoto uh, this during the regular season. He was great against the Hawks. Uh, Charlie, do you expect the Taves line to match up against McDavid's line, or could it be? the camp line with Carpenter and Highmore against McDavid. So I have a theory on this. I obviously, if you were, if you're a fan, you were watching those team scrimmages, you noticed that the lineups were very lopsided. The top six of the Blackhawks lines were on the same team and the bottom six were on different lines. And a lot of fans were wondering, 
why not even out the playing field? Because even the number one defenseman unit with Duncan Keith and Adam Boquist were also on the first unit. And so I wonder if Jeremy Colleton is preparing that bottom six to go up against those top two lines of Edmonton and McDavid and Drysaddle. And there will be times, I'm sure, that we'll see McDavid and Drysaddle together and you'll adjust on the fly. But the Blackhawks will have the luxury of home ice advantage or being the home team. And I believe games three and four, or uh, yeah, games three and four. So it'll be interesting to see how they match up. They're not going to be able to play matchups a lot in the first two games, but I wonder if they're preparing for the bottom six to play a, a more defensive role so that it opens up Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane's line to be more offensive. So you could see in theory then the camp line going up against McDavid and the dock line going up against Dreisaitl. Yep, I can. Okay. I don't know how you see it, Scott. No, I think your theory was really good about camp. You know, it was very obvious how lopsided those uh, those matchups were in, in scrimmages. I, I think those guys could have been getting prepared. Uh, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think as a whole, Taves has usually had McDavid, right? So you kind of, you could expect that. And he, and he does a good job, obviously, of shutting him down in that time. I think I'm not, I'm not expected to see Drysaddle and McDavid split up. They played together the first two months of the season, and then they were split up. And on that dry state of line, when he plays with Yamamoto, I mean, there's just – that top six as a whole, there's just so much speed and skill that they can divide those guys up. And uh, I, I expect that to stick with the Hawks as well. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure. To, to, to be honest, I'm not sure. I could see that panning out from camp. And um, I think uh, I think Taves is the guy to lock down McDavid as well. I like your theory, Charlie, on, on why – Colleton had the uh, the top two lines, the Taves line and, and Strom, Kane, and Nylander going up against the, the bottom six for the bulk of the two weeks. I think that makes a lot of sense considering what they're going up against in the best of five qualifying round. We'll have more talk about that a little bit later on in the week. I just want to uh, get to you guys about some parting shots. So, Charlie, you lead us off with, with a parting shot. Yeah, I just want to shout out to our audience for sticking with us for the past four months of not being able to talk about hockey. And hopefully we've provided some news and information. And, you know, honestly, this was really a platform for us to kind of talk out what what was happening across the NHL. And maybe the fan was just there with us trying to eavesdrop on our conversation. And so we appreciate the, the fans for sticking with us. And I'm just excited that we have a preseason game on Wednesday, and then Saturday is game one. So we'll be able to talk about hockey again, and it'll feel like normal uh, for, for all of us. Scotty? For me, I think I've done it before on here, but it seems like one of those weeks where I should give a shout-out to our babysitters, both sets of grandparents. It's, it's, you know, it's an unprecedented time here leading up to some postseason hockey. Needed a quiet house, so really appreciate their contribution, and it'll be good to see them later. And I'll pick. I'll Scott, piggyback on that because of. Go ahead, Charlie. Go ahead. I was going to say Scott has baby number three on the way in uh, September. Yeah. Congratulations. I do. It's a boy. Thank you. We found out we have another boy. So. Congrats. Now you outnumber the, the girls. You get the line filled out now, uh, <laughs> and and it's important that you've had those babysitters because of the amount of content that the two of you have been cranking out, and I just want to say as. Uh, somebody who's on this content team and gets to uh, read everything that you guys write. I can't believe the amount of uh, posts that you guys have had 
uh, how you, if th- there's a story that breaks, it doesn't matter if it's Saturday at nine o'clock or Sunday morning at 7 a.m., you guys are on top of it. I think, was it, am I, Scotty, you had 70 posts this I'm month? A, for this month, I'm uh, around 70. And, you know, our goal is always 50. And I think Charlie and I are always right around there. So, and look, I'll just say I'm still you know, here in the summer, I'm still, and this is my first season full time with, with you guys. Uh, so I'm the new guy and just jumping in, like right away, you see this finely oiled machine that the Blackhawks content team is and in you guys and how you operate. So, man, I'm just trying to keep things afloat and it's been awesome. And the way everyone's worked during this whole time, uh, kind of like Charlie has said, it has been awesome. Yeah. I honestly think it, like you said, Scott, it is a well-oiled machine where it really does start from the top where like, I'm sure like new people that come in and you see how it's operating and you just fit right in so seamlessly. And I think it was, it was so fun the last month just watching numbers grow and the fact that we, we haven't even covered a hockey game yet. And all these fans are, are interested in what's to come uh, when the Blackhawks do, you know, have this postseason run. So let, let's hope they make it interesting for us and they give us something more to, to write about and talk about um, because it'll be, it'll be a fun ride in Chicago if, if they can take advantage of this opportunity. We appreciate your loyalty to the Blackhawks Talk podcast, and you've gotten used to us putting uh, podcasts out every Tuesday, first thing in the morning, and every Friday. Uh, During this return to play, we're going to put podcasts out after every Blackhawks game. So beginning with that exhibition game on Wednesday against St. Louis, we will tape a podcast uh, right after that game, and it will drop either later that night or first thing in the morning, the following week when they have those 9.30 games, those <laughs> podcasts will probably be being taped around 1 a.m. or so. But uh, we look forward to getting that for you. And, of course, if there's anything that breaks, let's just say, uh, you know, Crawford is named game one starter, we'll, we'll do an emergency podcast as well. So switching it up a little bit, expect to get a podcast after each and every Blackhawks game during this uh, – unique return to play format so that's a wrap on this edition of the blackhawks talk podcast for charlie romelio to scott king and our producer extraordinaire for all podcasts at nbc sports chicago the dulcet tones of tony gill he's now a uh, he's now a voiceover guy he's he's, he's going to be leaving us he's going to be doing movie trailers in no time and leave us in the dust uh, thank you for listening don't forget to rate us and we'll catch you next time on the blackhawks talk podcast Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm-mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois.